In partnership with Paizo, the No Direction Network welcomes you to our PaizoCon Online 2023 seminar coverage. Awesome. Hello, everyone. Thank you for being here. This is Check Yourself, uh, self-editing for games writers. Um, a lot of times uh, we do panels for how to get into Paizo freelancing, how to improve your writing, um, and we don't do a lot of um, sharing our uh, editor side of things. So we're excited to talk to you a little bit about that today. Um, I'm Simone Salee. I am one of the senior editors here at Paizo. Um, I've been on staff for about a year, but freelancing with the team for several years prior to that. Uh, and next up is Sol, if you want to introduce yourself. Uh, hi, I'm Sol St. John. I'm another one of the editors. I've been at Paizo for almost three years now and uh, editing in general for, golly, eight, I think, off and on, yeah. Awesome. And Stahl is also our uh, fearless um, organized play leader. So they are uh, the mastermind behind all of our org play editing and keeps that afloat. So we're happy to have you. <laughs> um, James, go ahead. Hi, I'm James Case. I'm senior designer on the Pathfinder Rules and Lore team, but I first joined Paizo as an editor right before uh, the second edition playtest launch. And before that, I was editing for about four years. Uh, so they let me stick around and sometimes have comments on comments and that sort of thing. Go ahead, Patrick. Oh, uh, yeah. Hi, I'm Patrick Hurley. I'm the managing editor at ISO. I've been with the company also uh, for, I guess, closing in on four years. And uh, I've been editing for a few years before that. I'm also outside of work, a published uh, science fiction writer with about 40 stories, my name. and. Uh, yeah, and I have a very awesome team, and some former editors who are on other teams we miss very much, and are always they're always welcome in the chat. Yes, <laughs> very glad to have some former contributors because uh, once an editor, those skills don't go away. So we we love seeing that from other teams. Um, and I think a lot of people, we're going to start a little bit just by talking about what editing is, what it entails. Um, I know the perception that a lot of folks, myself included, before I got into it, um, have about editing is that you are reading material and looking for typos. And that's not wrong. That is a huge part of it. Um, but there are a lot of other layers involved, um, a lot of other things that we do um, in addition to looking for misspellings and commas in the wrong place. Um, those things revolve around checking for clarity, checking for consistency, um, elevating the material. Um, we all know sometimes our first drafts are a little rough. And as we go through the process as writers, they get stronger. And then editors can also help you um, strengthen your writing even more. Um, and of course, there's also um, inclusivity, sensitivity reading. All of those things fall under um, stronger language and editing as well. Um, so James, if you want to start talking about the um, clarity and consistency part of that. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, if you're writing in RPGs, it's this very interesting kind of format where you have all of this um, world building lore, these things you see a lot in, you know, novels or prose work. But you also have descriptions of abilities or of, you know, characters or what happens if, you know, the party goes down corridor A, what monster is there? That's really a lot closer to kind of like a technical writing. 
and you want to be sure that your you know your material is evocative and flavorful and doesn't sound exactly like a textbook but you also want to be sure that um you know that the end reader knows kind of how they're supposed to implement the mechanics and the rules within the game so i think one thing that you can look at in terms of uh, editing for clarity is you know are you getting the idea of the rules across to the reader in kind of the most efficient way you know in a way that also tells the story of what's happening you know i think that uh when you look at people who get really excited about a spell it's usually not just you know xd6 damage it's you know a majestic plume of flame descends down and reduces everything to ash and then you're like oh yeah that's much cooler than just uh, <laughs> it, uh how many how much numbers is happening so yeah it's about kind of um putting that together and trying to get the idea of the technical meaning across without kind of compromising the story yeah absolutely um patrick or soul anything else you want to add to that um one thing i think is if you're looking at uh, putting rules language is that uh, the archives of Nethys is your friend. Um, because there are certain, when you're doing mechanics and rules language, uh, the text exists as it is for a reason, like, so there's no room for ambiguity or doubt. So if you're looking, if you're describing a mechanic in a spell or a monster or something, and you you look or how it's described um, on one of our previously published books, which uh, you can find through Archives of Nethys, or if you already own it, it's it's not uh, a bad thing to replicate rules language exactly. Um, there are places to get creative, but when you're describing mechanics, um, aside from a couple sentences in the beginning, you, you actually want to be pretty dry and use as precise language as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, okay. consistency is maybe a, a big thing there. You know, uh, if you if you call if you have the effect and say that you know this is a this is a curse effect and that has a certain weight within the game, uh, and then you have something else you want to function very similarly and you call it a jinx effect, and then you have something else and you want to call it a misfortune. Um, you know, introducing those kind of uh, different words makes it unclear if you you intend you know you the the author intend this to function differently whether you intend it to function the same so kind of um coming down and being really consistent with your language and this is i think true also just in technical writing in general um but if you mean thing a and you kind of develop a consistent way that you talk about it you know when the reader starts to see it they'll be like oh yeah i know this effect i saw this uh i saw this in a cool thing that came out last year and now this is an evolution of that so i totally get it already yeah absolutely um i also think and we've talked about this a little bit already but um one of the notes that we have in one of our documents uh, internally is about remembering that checks are not the agent um and so being really intentional and specific with what language you're choosing um the die role is not um doing the action your player characters are or your NPCs are. And so remembering that, um, you know, being as specific and technical as possible is also meant to just support your characters in feeling like they're driving the story rather than waiting to see what happens to them. Because uh, they can go read a book if that's what they want to do. Um, <laughs> James, you also had an example in the sheet. I don't know if you want to share that in particular, if you're saving that for later, um, about the queen. Uh 
Oh, yes. This is uh, one of my favorite sentences, which is yes. um, a lot of the time when you're writing something, you know, you what you know what you want to say. So um, I think I forget who I got this from, but it's the, the line when the queen screamed at her handmaiden, she was scared. Uh, and I don't know if like the queen is scared and that's why she's screaming or if the handmaiden is scared because, you know, someone just yell at her. Um, so this idea of kind of what Simone was talking about, and especially in a role-playing game, you know, where you are role-playing as a character, um, being very clear who the agent is, um, you know, whether if you say, uh, you know, if the party uh, rolls a success on the check to cross the bridge, nothing bad happens. And you're like, well, is that one person in the party? Is that like the party collectively designates it? Is, is, it, is it like everybody rolls? Um, and that can help, especially in, you know, especially in when you're telling a story, telling a story with the mechanics the way we do in adventures a lot of the time. And, you know, Sol, I know you work a lot in the OP scenario, so you might have some insight on this. Um, that can really keep things very tight. And then you can have more words for, you know, describing cool set pieces or the environment or somebody's personality. Yes, 100%. Um, that word count that we have to keep in mind as well. Like sometimes you do need more words <laughs> in order to yep. explain something and reduce ambiguity. Um, but when you can be really concise about it, um, that frees up so much more. Um, Sol, did you want to add anything to that or should we slide to our next piece? Um, yeah, the, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's pretty much what I was thinking as well. About, I, what I was thinking to say was that um, consistency is also to something to keep in mind when it comes to the, not just the, technical stuff, but also the narrative text. Um, it's uh, the, something you're keeping in mind when it comes to the consistency of the narrative. Like, you don't really think about it when you're writing, but when you're editing, you have to pay attention to consistency of like the names, not just the spelling, but making sure that everybody's names are kept uh, in order um, and consistency of like character, especially when you're working from like one adventure if you've got adventures that click together like an adventure path or if you've got uh, a, an op scenario where you've got an npc that recurs multiple times uh it can be important for the consistency of the character to feel the same every time they show up uh consistency of just how the narrative flows together uh and all the just all these things that you're trying to keep in mind while reading through things is yeah yeah, yeah, that's a great point about crossing over adventures too, because we do have so many different authors that work on every piece internally and in our freelancers. And then, um, you know, you might have a bunch of different people writing AP volumes or a character re reappear in a future season of an org play scenario. Um, and so, you know, there's only so much you can do as the author because all authors do have different voices. And so as editors, since we do see everything come through, um, a lot of our work, exactly like Sol said, is to kind of make sure like these characters have the same feel and have the same you know ways of speaking. Um, and little details like somebody uh, standing up to say something, but you also said that they stood up you know, a paragraph ago. Um, so consistency really shows up in all of those different places. Um, yeah. I'm sure we will have other examples pop in, but um, if you want to kind of take that into elevating the material, Patrick, we can start talking about that piece too. Sure. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. Um, with rules language, I think consistency and repetition 
are fine. They're actually, you're supposed to use that because you want to use the same terms to describe the same rules, just as James was describing, like jinx and bad luck or something like that. But when it comes to um, narrative text or read aloud text, you actually want to watch out for that kind of unintended word echo is what I call it. And uh, yeah, or unintended word repetition. Um, you want to pay attention to the rhythm of your sentences. Um, you want to be as precise as possible and use as accurate language as possible. Um, so there are parts, I think that's why writing for games is so interesting because it's half science and precision and thinking about balance and mechanics and then half art where you're trying to like, you know, make everything sound super fascinating and pretty because you want to draw the people in and help the uh, GM uh, give the GM as many tools to make the world come alive as possible. Uh, one of the, I don't, and one of the most helpful things I use it in my own fiction. I use it when I'm, when we're editing adventures, especially if I'm trying to break down what something's saying is I honestly, if you're, so if you're writing for uh, us or any game, uh, reading your stuff aloud after a first or second draft, I think is uh, one of the best ways to catch unintended word echo, uh, awkward phrases. Oh, I'd already said this here and now I'm saying it again here. Um, uh, it, it can be, it can be long, uh, doing that. So there are tools too, where you could free online tools where you could just paste in your text and have like a, a robot read it back to you, um, in various voices, um, which are free, uh, if you don't want to read so out loud for so long. But um, if I were going to give anyway, one tip to any aspiring freelancers, it's uh, read your drafts back to yourself out loud. Yes, I think that's one of my number ones as well. Um, because you spend so much time when you're writing, especially on a deadline, you have a lot of words to get through. Um, you spend so much time with the material. And so it's going to start to look and sound right in your head, even if maybe there's a word missing or it, we see echoes all the time. Um, and even though Patrick talked about this, I'm going to say a little bit more about it because echoes are one of the things that I find the most <laughs> and spend the most time changing. Um, obviously, word echoes um, or you know specific phrases are a big one. But um, a lot of times authors will develop pet phrases or um, sentence structures that are their favorite to use. Um, and I'm no exception. I read my own writing back out loud or um, Word actually has a feature that you can have uh, Word read it to you. Um, and uh, we joke a lot about the bestiary clause, the introduction that um, is really standard. Initial in participial clause. Yes, thank <laughs> yes. you, James. <laughs> um, any like introductory clause. Um, there was one edit that I, I was making in the AP um, many months ago where four sentences in a row started with while something, something, something. Um, and it just, or even if the word isn't while at the beginning of each sentence, um, there are just so many times that that sentence structure can pop up. It's a very, you know, succinct and useful way to convey information, especially when your word counts tight in an AP. Um, but if you overuse it, it does start to stand out. Um, so that's something that we look for a lot. And that also takes a lot of time because then, you know, instead of just using the, the words that you've given us, you have to start rewriting. Um, which is not a big part of editing. You know, rewriting is is kind of the last resort. So that's a great one to look for, and it is much easier to see 
Um, I also hear people talk about changing the font a lot for proofreading. Uh, I don't do that very often, but hearing it aloud is huh. definitely helpful. Um, yeah. yeah, I think just to, to get it. This is maybe a good time to bring up that, um, yeah, if anybody has questions about how to improve their writing or specific, you know, quandaries that they've had while um, while writing or while trying to prove their own work, um, please feel free to throw those in the chat and we'll try and get to them at the end. Yes, thank you. Um, and also feel free, well, I won't speak for everyone, but feel free to find me online, um, either in the Discord or on Twitter, um, potentially my fellow panelists. Um, I know we're all word nerds. We love talking about this. Um, and part of the kind of bummer about the Paisa process is that, you know, unlike if you were writing a novel, you can't go back and forth with your editor. Um, you kind of just have to set it free and trust us to do our best with it. Um, and that also means you don't really get a lot of feedback directly on your work other than comparing your draft to what you've sent in. Um, and devs do a lot of work on it and editors do a lot of work on it, um, but we don't get to explain to you why. Um, so it can be hard to, to grow as an editor or as a writer. So feel free to uh, talk to us um, elsewhere if you like. Um, anyone else have anything they want to talk about elevating the material beyond um, like consistency and word choice? Yeah, um, we have some. Why don't you go? I'll say that one thing that always keeps in mind when it comes to elevating the material is to uh, always keep in mind while you're reading through how it would feel to play and how it would feel to run, especially like as a GM. Because I know that some of the best ways that I've found to elevate the material is just by occasionally going, now, wait a second, what, where's the player logic here? What if the player does this? What if the play, you know, it's not always something that happens. Um, it comes up. Actually, you'd be surprised how uh, rarely it actually comes up, but um, you know, it, it's common enough. It, it's not even rare is the wrong word, but it's it's common enough to just kind of think of the logic and occasionally pop in with a suggestion of, hey, maybe this could just adjust slightly with what a player might be expecting or what a GM might be. This might be a little easier for a GM uh, to run or. Hey, what if what what if what if the player decides to do this option? Maybe we should offer a suggestion for what the GM could go with with that suggestion. That can be I I find that's uh, a big part when it comes to elevating specifically game material as opposed to anything else. Yes, absolutely. James, yeah, what did you want to add? Yeah, um, the. The kind of fun part about RPGs is that there isn't really like a, a script. It isn't really programmed out. Like the the party really could go anywhere and do anything at any time, as I'm sure uh, all of us have either inflicted on a GM or had to uh, quickly quickly improv around. Um, and so that idea of um, you know like leaving the door open uh, to creative solutions in the writing is one way to uh, to certainly keep that open as you're writing a story. Um, and then in terms of editing specifically, you can kind of look at what the author is trying to get across. Like, what is the tone of this? And is this whimsical? Is this kind of gripping? Is this, uh, you know, uh, does this spend like a lot of time describing like the lush ruins that the party is moving through in kind of a melancholic way? Um, and so, you know, kind of the first part of editing anything is just to 
kind of take it in and be like, okay, what's what's the vibe? What's going on here? Uh, and then how can I take that and execute it better? Because you know, if if you get something in that's like you know really gripping horror and you edit it really really well, but you also kind of make it very uh, like humorous, um, you've kind of changed the direction of the original. Uh, and so you really want to take whatever's there and just hone it up rather than kind of bending the direction as it were. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the goal of editing is, is to preserve the author's voice, right? Like we aren't the ones writing or telling the story. Our goal is to support what the author has written. Um, there is a little bit of extra layers to that when you're specifically looking at um, RPGs because we are trying to blend multiple authors into one piece and we need to follow Paizo's style and tone. Um, but yeah, James is absolutely correct. Like the, the overall intent um, is a big part of that. And editing does come in many levels. Um, in our industry, we kind of do all of them, um, but developers are doing more of the big picture. What is the tone? What is the goal? What emotions and sensory details are we trying to evoke in um, players and GMs? And what do we want to offer our GMs to kind of set the scene? Um, and then by the time that it gets to, you know, Patrick Soul, myself and our colleagues, um, we're really looking like line by line at the technical pieces and the word choice and how the sentences flow. Um, and then we finally do, you know, proofreading passes at the end. So there's so many layers to this. Um, the only other thing that I had to add for elevating the prose is um, thinking about stronger phrasing. And we've talked about this already a little bit, um, but one of the um, examples that I usually point to is um, of even a short phrase like the freeing of Galt. That might be perfect. That might be exactly what you want to say in that moment. So there's nothing wrong with that. But another maybe punchier option could be Galt's liberation. So you can always kind of think about how are your, your phrases lining up? Maybe this is a place where you want something longer and simpler. Maybe you want uh, to shorten it elsewhere. Um, neither one is wrong. So that's the art of editing is figuring out which one suits your needs at any moment. Um, I also want to make sure that we talk about conscious language, um, which that kind of blends right into. So Sol, if you want to start it all talking about inclusivity and how we choose our words um, very intentionally. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the most, uh, I think the most important thing with inclusivity, the thing that keeps people most grounded, is just to be kind of self-aware. Um, like whatever, wherever you're coming from, when it comes to your own position of, you know, whatever your own history is, whatever your own privilege, whatever your own whatever your status is, uh, it's the most important thing is just is just kind of to be aware of where you're coming from, where other people are coming from and what's uh, just what the language is. It, it can be, it, it, it's one of the things that you have to be conscious of and it's a deliberate thing that you have to work at, but it is important and it is uh, honestly very fulfilling. It, it can be, um, it can really help be part of the elevating of the, the text quite a bit to uh, just be conscious of, not just the language, but the way that uh, certain things are, the way, uh, the way that the stories, sometimes the way that the stories are structured, the way that certain tropes are used, the way that certain characters are presented. Sometimes we wind up getting like the way the art, uh, the way certain art pieces get presented um, and also how those things get, oh, this doesn't come up so much with self-editing, but when you're working in a team, uh, how to bring those situations up with the writer or the developer gently. 
and talk this out without you know being accusing um it's all yeah. just uh, it, it's several different factors that you have to keep in mind but uh it all starts with being aware of just kind of just kind of keeping yourself focused and aware of everything that's going on and working with intention of just keeping an open mind i think yeah absolutely yeah go ahead i think um one of the things that uh, Sol brought up there was the idea of you know being aware of like tropes in the kind of genre that you're writing with whereas you know um say like Pathfinder at least, like this is a heroic fantasy game. So these are the kind of tropes that have come up in this situation. You know, we have farm boy with magic sword. We have uh, evil wizard in a tower. You know, these are the kind of tropes that um, play within this space. And so first being aware of them, but I think also, uh, I think one of the, what we mean by uh, conscious and inclusive language has a lot to do with, you know, you want anybody who is reading this story to feel like they could be the hero of the story. I mean, in the case of, you know, we're making a heroic fantasy game here, right? Um, and a lot of that comes down to like, does the writing implicitly make assumptions about the character for any reason? Um, and that could be, you know, uh, and some of these times the assumptions are fine, you know, assuming that, the wizard can cast magic is perfect. That's perfectly fine to do. Um, but if, for instance, uh, one of the things we do a lot uh, at Paizo has to do with um, gender-neutral language, for instance, you know, we don't really say uh, words like, you know, watchman or, uh, you know, fire, fireman, that kind of thing, because, you know, in our setting, the town watch really just has people of any gender in it. It's not like a definitionally male thing. Uh, and so, you know, if we say Watchmen, that's the that's kind of an assumption that has reached the text that doesn't really need to be there, and kind of just uh, maybe creates a slight pressure if you know you want to be playing a woman character who is you know like the you know the captain of the town guard or something. Yep, exactly. Um, and I can say. As a woman who's been in gaming and reading fantasy for a long time, um, it definitely has a, a tone of you know, exclusion to it in, when you immediately read something like that. That doesn't need to be there. Um, and so that's a really big thing that you can look through in your work. Um, and all of us have assumptions. All of us are coming from different cultural backgrounds where things, you know, we're not used to examining them and we forget that people come with other lenses. And so it's a really big piece of um, of what we do as Paizo editors and of what you can do if you're writing for us or for other games is to just keep your audience in mind at all times, like James said. Like, we want anybody to pick this up and see themselves as the hero if that's what they're going for. And so. Um, starting from an open and welcoming space um, with the words that we use has a really big impact. Um, it can seem small, it can seem insignificant. Uh, I could spend hours talking about this, but you always see people saying like, oh, well, we know like guardsmen could mean anybody. Yeah, but there's always a but there. Um, and so that's one of the things that we look for. Um, and also the assumptions you make on who's doing what, like which ancestry or which gender is your guard or your mayor. Um, 
I could spend a whole hour talking just about the decisions in Stardew Valley and all of the professions and genders and how those all mapped out. Um, and so, uh, you know, that isn't everybody's cup of tea, but that is something that we look for, um, you know, is do you have a, a balance across genders of NPCs in the, the adventure you turned over, but your doctor, your engineer, your scientist, your captain of the guard are all male and your um, front desk receptionist is female? Like you're kind of bringing in some unnecessary gender stereotypes to this. Um, and that's a case where editors would come in and make some adjustments. Um, anybody else want to jump in? Patrick, anything else to add? Well, so hopefully developers would come in before us and make adjustments. True. But yep. <laughs> um, I mean, to me, it's just like anything else. You want something to be as good as it can be. And um you should approach i think the best freelancers approach their work a little bit even experienced ones with a bit of a, a beginner's mindset or open mindset because there's always something you can learn there's always something that could make it better so if you do have a blind spot um you know uh ask someone else do some research there's uh, I'm hesitant to say we hire sensitivity readers uh, as necessary, um, but uh, I'm not going to tell freelancers to do that. But it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, uh, you know, I think always being open to feedback from other people um, and being genuine in the way that you seek feedback and receive it, uh, assume good intent, I think is like. I mean, honestly, in our office, that's, I think, the thing that's smoothed over any time we've had to, like, figure out, like, you know, a way to not necessarily uh, address something that's, like, oh, super problematic, because I think at this point, people know that that stuff won't fly at Paizo, but, like, just make something a little better. You know, the, the base assumption, I think Saul was kind of saying this, of, like, good intent uh, goes a long way uh, when you're talking with all parties involved. Um, so yeah, assuming good intent, do your research, realize that anything, I mean, hell, like any, any, I've seen first drafts of like famous authors and, you know, anything can always be improved. Yes. For all sure. of our first drafts never make it out. Um, you know, <laughs> right. uh, we really Thank want, God. you know, because I mean, sometimes I write something and I'm just like, yeah, that felt good when I turn it in. I come back and I was like, I literally don't understand what this feat is supposed to be doing. And I made it up. <laughs> so um, there's a little bit of talk in the chat that I think is a part of inclusive writing that is a little more unique to fantasy, which is the idea that, um, you know, speculative fiction in general, but certainly fantasy often um, has the idea of fantasy races uh, much more front and center than some other uh genres and how and how you talk about you know your ancestors or your species um even beyond kind of the word that you're kind of using to describe it is important but is in some ways kind of the the least important part about writing this um a lot of times you see a situation where say you have a setting and in the setting elves have sapience they have society they have Know, moral complexity and all that kind of thing. So elves functionally have all the status of people, right? They're, they're people. Um, but you might see something like humans are diverse and humans can be of kind of any background. They can have kind of any philosophy, but all elves, all elves do this. 
um, in that kind of way. And what you've sort of done there is you've um, ascribed one sort of personality or one very stereotyped series of traits. And those can be positive or negative stereotypes, but like at the end of the day, you're still, you're still kind of restricting the stories you can tell with them. And so in terms of just kind of some like, really what are some quick and dirty ways you can check for this in your writing, um, substitute anytime you're talking about an ancestry in your head with human, uh, and substitute anytime you're talking about a culture with whatever your like your personal culture is. So the line like something like you know, the orcs are big and strong and terrifying to behold is like the Americans or the humans, and like you hear that and that like the that the that marks it as an outgroup. You can tell I'm like. I wouldn't say all humans are big and strong and terrible to behold. Um, so like you can maybe find a way to be like, well, it's not because they're all orcs. It's because this is like the strongest, you know, knight or something. And, you know, she's nine feet tall and has tusks and a wields a broadsword and that kind of thing. I'm like, well, then you're just describing one person, right? That makes a lot of sense. Or one so, yeah. small um, group having those values specifically or something. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, substitute then, in human, substitute in the name of your hometown, and you will be surprised at how much you can kind of catch. And then on the flip side of that, when you're actually getting the, the, the text done, um, one thing that, especially when I'm doing Starfinder, one of the things to keep an eye on is to avoid things like talking about human nature and uh, talking about describing things when you're trying to talk about people as talking about not just men, but talking about humans, uh, humankind, human nature, because there's a, a tendency to be almost human-centric and to make assumptions that, like, what's standard for humans is standard for everybody. Even in Starfinder, where you've got creatures who are, you know, some of the species are, like, j floating jellyfish and sea slugs and all these kind of business. Uh, so it, it's, like, uh, keeping keeping human centric language out of the, the science fiction, the science fantasy settings will just make your settings that much stronger, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I could talk about conscious language and, you know, different fantasy groups uh, for several more hours also. Um, but I do <laughs> want to keep us moving because maybe we can have a subsequent panel on that at another time um, or find us, you know, after this. Um, I will say just before we move on that um, the conscious language style guide is a great resource if you're wondering about um, language choices in general and how you can kind of expand your perspective. Um, and there's also a organization called Writing the Other um, and they have really wonderful workshops um, often with scholarships available um, to discuss how to write um, people unlike yourself, which is really uh, handy if you're writing about um, ancestries that don't even exist in real life um, and are wanting to make them fully realized individuals um, with their own personalities instead of just like a, a really, um, you know, a kind of minimized group. Um, so those are great places to start and there are a lot more resources that, that can take you from there. Um, more on self-editing to kind of get back to the technical side of things. Um, you may or may not be familiar with 
style guides, which, um, you know, there's the Chicago Manual of Style, which is what print publications like Paizo uses. And it is off screen right now, but it's about 800 pounds. <laughs> there is an online version, but um, that covers um, punctuation usage and syntax and all sorts of ways that we use language. Um, and then you have guides like the AP Style Guide, which journalists use. Um, they are anti-Oxford or serial comma as one example. Um, but there's yeah. a lot of immediately provoked a strong emotional reaction. <laughs> Boo! Um, but uh, just because there are a lot of uh, decisions that you can make about how to use uh, the English language. And so there are uh, very standard guides that everybody kind of agrees to follow. Um, so again, we use the Chicago style. Uh, you do not need to go out and spend $65 on this book or get a subscription online. But um, you can look at some free resources if you want to be kind of a step above um, as a writer for us or for whatever um, game you're writing for. Just be familiar with some of the very basics um, and stick to those in your submissions because we'll notice. Um, but don't feel like you have to be a master because that's what we are here to do. So it's totally okay uh, if you're not a pro at that. Um, but underneath the style guide, um, obviously Paizo has a house style that uh, covers a lot of internal stuff for our game. And we also uh, recommend for editors, but also when you're writing, um, whether it's a novel or a game, uh, to keep a style sheet for that game. So instead of the large book that covers every case, this is something where you would be writing down the names of the NPCs that you're making up and the towns, um, maybe some key descriptive information, like what color eyes a character has or um, you know what direction the road goes um, so that you can make sure that you're staying consistent like we talked about earlier. Um, so one of the biggest things we see besides those echoes and patterns that we talked about earlier is um, discrepancies in the spelling of new names that have been made up, um, especially if we're going from product to product, that gets really hard to track down. Um, and uh, plurals, sometimes using uh, an irregular plural and sometimes uh, adding that S to the end of a made up word. So keeping track of things like that as you're writing reduces the errors that devs and editors will need to find um, or verify down the road. And um, Sol, I don't know if there's anything that you want to jump in on from there, um, either org play specific or just in general, with style sheets in general. Uh, and if uh, not, that's okay. No, <laughs> no, you covered it. Uh, all I had to say was, uh, this is what you're looking for when it comes to Chicago, for the record. Yes. Uh, there's yeah, um... this monster. That is uh, kind of true, though, because, you know, we don't write in, like, standard American English. We have things like, we decided that magic would be italicized. That's not how you write in the newspaper, but that's a specific style for, you know, the brand. And that's kind of, you know, at the end of the day, you want to be following kind of the grammar because it it serves a function in your writing because it, you know, makes it clearer or because it's important to your brand whether that's uh you know the brand that you are freelancing for or if that's like your own thing you're work you're writing like if we italicize all of our magic items if your setting is doesn't have a lot of magic in it you know but you have something else that that format might be more useful for then like you know uh do that uh that will be um if if that's the way that the grammar can most clearly communicate that and you and you are not following you know uh, a company's style that kind of has that set because that company has already sort of you know 
made uh, trying to go for that consistency, you can do that. Um, I, this is people bring this up, but like sometimes you you do bend the rule a little bit in the service of the final product, and that's fine if done intentionally and judiciously and not too much. So that's actually something. Um, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go. Well. Uh, what James just said kind of made me think of something that I had been noodling with for the last few minutes was like, um, I think sometimes you want your thing to be, first of all, you want to have fun. We People who are playing the games want to have sure. fun, but you should have fun writing it. Like there should be a part uh, where you're like, oh, that was really cool. Oh my gosh. Um, I think sometimes when we're editing uh, or uh, you're applying rules to things, there's people uh, you could get trapped in a like, well, I can't have fun because I have to follow the rules or there's like a, there's like a binary and um, it's a false dichotomy. I think Um, there's not like, Oh, this can be awesome or this can be sensitively written or, Oh, this could be awesome or this could be conforming to house style. I, I assure you it's possible to do both. And like, so, you know, in your first drafts, just go nuts. Like, and then you take all of that beautiful creativity and that, and then edit it with sensitivity, with a style guide, uh, applying Chicago manual style and our own house style. And you combine those two things. And I swear developers will come back to you all the time with more work. Like, that's that's like the key. I think you can, um, you know, have fun and pour some passion into it, follow that rule of cool, um, and then get some distance. And uh, that's when you kind of all of a sudden, you know, apply the logic, make it better. Um, so anyway, I was just thinking about that because I think sometimes, whenever I've seen speed bumps or uh, and this is just in fiction writing outside of work. Uh, it's because people are assuming like, oh, well, I won't be able to like make this beautiful. And if I have to follow all these rules or, or anything, and I, I think I'd like to encourage any prospective writers who are looking to edit themselves that it's not a binary all or nothing. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and I think that can be really hard to turn off your editing brain while you're writing. Um, if you are familiar with a lot yeah. of the rules and, uh, I know I struggle with it a lot I'm like, well, I, you know, I already know how to, you know, precisely use all this punctuation and I get so wrapped up in like crafting the perfect sentence that I get nowhere. And you really need to just set that aside, write, yeah. uh, get some space from it and then come back. Um, and that's one of the things I recommend too, with, um, reading it aloud, if you can build some time into your, um, writing window before your turnover is due to step away from what you've written for a couple of days, come back with fresh eyes, read it out loud. Um, that's when the editing can come in, um, as opposed to stressing about all of these details, um, while you're getting words on the page, that part has to come first. Um, James, were you going to add something too? Yeah, I'm just saying I hate writing by hand. I absolutely hate it. And all of my primary writing is in like a little notebook in a pen because it removes the control Z and the backspace keys from from my toolkit. Mm. And then I just have to write a terrible first draft. But then once I have done the first draft, I'm just like, okay, you know, mode change. Now we can go into editing it. And you know, trying to do everything at once is 
is folly. Um, write a bad first draft. Just do it. It will be bad. That is that is as it should be. And then you can go in and tune it up. Be like, oh, well, I want this character to be a little more interesting here. Or like, oh, I think this ability can do a little less damage there, but maybe I'll give this condition. Uh, but, you know, you, you can't edit anything until it's on the page. So uh, when I'm just sitting here at the keyboard, I'm like, type to type, delete, delete, type to type, control Z. Uh, that's, not, that's not productive. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, I want to uh, talk about one more piece of um, self-editing that we haven't covered yet, which is maps. Um, a lot of people who write APs for us are also drafting maps. Um, does anyone want to talk at all about uh, editing a map? <laughs> Even though most of that happens in-house, um, the stronger map you turn over, the better. Um, Sol, I know you've caught a lot um, on some of the maps that have come in. Do you have any advice on that? Or common errors uh, that you see? Honestly, the, the most straightforward thing with a map is to just have it with you while you're going through the portion of whatever story or adventure you're, the, the, the map is referring to. You, you, uh, always have the map just available to reference while you're reading the part that the map is referring to and be able to just check and make sure that everything that needs to be there is there. Um, that is the best way to catch discrepancies up to and including, I have stumbled across maps that have been missing entire walls. I've stumbled across <laughs> maps that have had traps that are mislaid in the wrong places. You know, it, it's very easy to get miscommunications between things and that's part of the job so it, it's uh don't be afraid to like to when you're editing the, one of the best things to do is to be able to just take whatever document you're working on apart and spread the pages out and just work on the different pages and being able to reference them uh if you're an editor if you're working digitally uh you are going to want two screens uh two screens yes. to work digitally and you're going yeah. to want to be able at least um, you're going to want to be able to reference things and be able to move them around and be able to just compare things side to side because uh, that is absolutely the best way to catch when you've got a discrepancy between not just the map but also like appendixes if you're trying to if, or page numbers best way to catch everything like that yep yes yep um, for sure one of the uh I, I always one of the volumes of um, the Ruby, Fist of the Ruby Phoenix. I think it was the second, or maybe it was the first. I think it had. So I guess my and my caution would be if you're making maps, don't. The more locations you have to you include, uh, the more things we will be checking. And I remember once checking like seventy locations, or it was something oh, like that. In. Um, in a, one of the Ruby Phoenix APs, I think it was on the island, and it was it was really interesting. It was a cool dynamic because it, what it meant was like the way it was set up was that like different encounters could hand it, happen in totally different places as the party wandered the island, fighting different groups and finding different treasures or encountering different creatures. It was awesome. It was also a lot to check and. Um, I think I remember I did find like one area that was spelled inconsistently, like on the map and then in the text. But, you know, and one actually out of 70 is great. But the more locations you have, uh, I mean, and this is not to say don't have a lot of locations in your map, but just be aware that like that means you're going to be checking a lot more. 
Um, and that just will add on. And I think, so I always, when I have a metadine and have a map part of an encounter, I have it, I usually do like a, uh, a snippet just so I could put a copy of the map, like Saul says on the other screen. But, um, you know, be aware that like adding tons of different uh, locations to the map um, increases the complexity. And, you know, ask yourself, do I need uh, 70 different ones? <laughs> Um, I think since we're coming into the uh, last few minutes here, um, we'll try and take a look at some of the questions that have come in. Um, and please feel free to post any final thoughts that you have in there. Um, we'll try to get to everything that we can. Um, one of the uh, first questions I saw was about different writing styles um, and if some work better than others for, um, for writing RPGs. So I don't know if, um, if that was your question, if you want to add any context to um, some of the styles that you're thinking about, but otherwise, um, I'm going to let this part kind of be a free for all. So anybody who wants to jump in on that, um, please feel free. Um, I would say like we use Chicago because it's just kind of the it's a little more uh, it's a little more technical, I think, without being too really like um, I used to work in medical editing and you, you things can get very technical there and I don't think we need that level of complication um that's a really good one but I mean there's there's totally times it's makes a lot of sense to do things differently I know uh Monsters of Myth Jake Chandro did a lore thing all in like old English or possibly Norse I forget which poetry and so like that's obviously like you know, it serves a purpose to suspend your style there so just looking at you know, when does it serve the story? Yes, yeah. It's important to have a base to choose from. So with games publishing, that's probably going to be Chicago. Um, but that's why, you know, there's kind of that umbrella, but then we do have a Paizo house style and I know people have asked for it and I would love to have a public facing style guide someday, but it is very large and not prepared for public consumption. Um, but we have things that are contra Chicago in there that we as a publishing house decide to do differently. Um, and so your own indie games or other um, publishers that you work for probably have something similar where there are specific things either that Chicago doesn't address or that, um, you know, for whatever purpose, there's a different way that we like to do it. Um, same with dictionaries. Not all dictionaries are the same. There's differences between UK and Canadian English versus American English. Um, and so making sure that, um, you know, for example, we usually say, okay, we use, you know, Merriam-Webster's and we use the first instance of the spelling if it lists two variants. So you can get really detailed in that, but um, it's really just making sure if you're deciding that for your own products, that you pick one and stay consistent to it. Um, and if you're writing for a company, um, to get that information from them so that you can follow their guidelines as much as possible. Any other thoughts on writing styles, Patrick? Um, I guess this is more of a substantive style thing, but, uh, you know, one thing I would encourage freelancers, uh, you know, you're writing a work for hire um, to a word count. And sometimes subconsciously, I think that can encourage overwordiness um mm -hmm. so you can meet the word count um and that's not we're just gonna cut it um so <laughs> i would uh i mean you know like 
uh, if you're doing a list of possible uh, professions of an NPC, you don't have to include 12 examples. Um, you can include three very good ones. Uh, you know, we try to be very expansive in our descriptions sometimes, but I've noticed that there are some times where they can be a little overly expansive. Like we don't have to count, well, there's a bed here, there's a lamp here, there's a thing that, you know, you could just say, this is a living room, typical of a, in a of this, of a Absalonian style or something like that. Um, so, you know, you do have to hit your word counts, but I think, uh, Try to hit them by being as concise and clear as possible is a good metric. Yes. And then you have more room to put in that last cool spell you didn't have room for. That's right. <laughs> um, one of the questions was about finding plot holes, um, because players can kind of do whatever they want. Um, I have not written adventures, um, so if anybody else who has or who develops them wants to talk a little bit about that, please do. Um, this is something, yeah, when I was, because uh, I was a developer in organized play where, you know, you really want to make sure that the adventures run that way at the table. Um, this gets a little into the design and less so the writing, but um, you kind of want to always ensure that, like, okay, here, here's the puzzle. There's a door and it's locked. So what's the most obvious thing? Uh, they might try to, you know, pick the lock. Cool. They might try to find the key. Cool. They might try to break the door down. Cool. So you've kind of covered your main ones. Um, and you just want to be sure that, like, you've given this other kind of option. Like, you know, uh, if the, you know, if the party has some other way to bypass the door, you know, give them a plus two on the check. If they have maybe some sort of, like, chemical, say, if they have, like, an alchemist or something, or... Uh, basically just find a way to reward the reward the players problem solving like if you didn't realize one of the players was going to be a ghost and they can just ghost walk through the door uh, that's cool like that's not a failure of the adventure that's like a cool complication that they came up with and just be like you know just give them give them the tools like it's a door it's you know made of normal wood and it's you know you can look up the stats for that if you want to but you probably don't need them right it's just there um, yeah. And that's very hand in hand with the like kind of fallback option. Like, imagine uh, nobody has lock picking, nobody knows what a key, what the concept of a key is, and everybody has noodly arms and they can't push the door down, and like there's nothing they can do. And you can just say like, you know, after three failed checks, the guards on the other side are like, sounds like somebody's trying to break in, and then they open the door, and like you still failed. Like you you know now maybe they get a bonus on initiative to fight you because. You know, they, I mean, they saw you coming because you were banging on the door. Um, but you haven't prevented the story from going forward. Like, at the end of the day, the door is open. The party is in a little bit of worse position because, you know, they failed the check. And the contract is when you roll a one, that should be bad for you. Uh, but the story can move forward. So just kind of keep that sort of escape clause in, and that'll work. Or it'll get it at least close enough that the GM, because the GM is, inter is interpreting the rules, will know how to take it. Yeah, that's great. We can't cover all our bases or our APs would be way too, they'd be bigger than the Chicago manual style. <laughs> so okay. at some point so you have to trust the GM. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, we have another question here in our last couple of minutes um, about services like Grammarly, um, if they will help or hinder writing for RPGs. Um, I have not used it personally, um, so I'm not really 
sure how much it helps. I think there's a, a chance that you could um, kind of get too sucked into doing everything perfectly and have that sap your creativity a little bit. Um, so like we talked about before, I, I would say write your draft. Um, and then, you know, if you come up with a specific question, you can refer to something like that um, or other writing guides. But um, I would try not to do it simultaneously um, or set aside a time, you know, set time aside uh, to familiarize yourself with some of the like basic sentence constructions or grammar things that you often have trouble with um, and kind of use it as a supplement. Um, but, but not trying to, to get too into, you know, you are a writer primarily if you're, you know, writing for us. So um, it doesn't need to be perfectly edited and um, kind of just use it as needed. I don't know if anybody else wants to jump in on that too. My general rule is um, use whatever tools work for you to get your words on the page for the most part. But I would caution against using too many uh, like actual AI tools like that because the writing that I have read from people who rely too much on those kinds of tools that are meant to like analyze and supposedly make writing easier uh, tend to come out very mechanical and stale. Mm -hmm. um, and it's uh, honestly, if you lean, they can be useful to an extent, but if you lean too much on them, it can be an active detriment to your writing. So uh, be careful is what I would say is that they have their, they have their uses, but you don't want to use them as a crutch. Yes. Yeah. You will not develop a unique author voice if, if you're using that and that will come across um, in your work and, and will probably reduce the amount of opportunities you yeah. get in the future. Go ahead. And quite frankly, we write in a very specialized style and any of these tools are trained on kind of a general use model. And like, even I, first off, completely uh, agree with Saul and like highly specific tool. Like I will take, I'll take the screwdriver out specifically for using the screwdriver, but I won't attempt to use this like massive toolkit to do kind of everything because then you're not, you're kind of losing the thread on it a bit. But also like these things are not really designed for the kind of very specialized writing that we do where we're like writing about evocative fantasy, but also there's like language for checks coming in the middle. Um, and so it's honestly just more likely to introduce errors, I think. And like, even if you did have access to a tool that was that specialized, uh, it would go against our anti-AI AI policy anyway. So yep. maybe don't. we're not hiring the AI to write for us. We're hiring <laughs> your words. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Any further thoughts on editing in general or writing for us? We got like one minute left. I don't think so. Okay. I think yeah. we're we're in a good spot. Thank you all so much. Um, it was really fun to to get to talk about this. Um, all of us, except Patrick, I think, do have um, AMA channels in the Discord, so you're welcome to come find us there. Um, otherwise, uh, stay tuned. I think Become Studios is uh, is up next. And uh, yeah, thanks. Enjoy the rest of your con.
Thank you for joining us for this installment of the PaizoCon Online 2023 Seminar Coverage, brought to you by Paizo and the No Direction Network. For more great gaming podcasts, visit nodirectionpodcast.com.